This is Live from the Vaults, the Hearsmith Podcast. I am your host, Chad Coleman, founder of Hearsmith, and I'm here with my uh, ever amazing co-host, DeAndre Dow. I appreciate you as always, Chad. Yeah, good to hear from you. How you been, man? I'm blessed, healthy, happy, and highly favored. I like it. Sounds great. That's awesome. You got any big plans for the holiday weekend coming up? Nah, I go. I wake up with a blank slate every single day. You feel me? It's just go with the moment, take it from there. I got plans, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm in the present at all times. Right. I hear you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I t- that's that's how I kind of roll, too. You know, obviously, we got to we got to be planners as business owners and stuff like that. But when it comes to like chilling out and like taking like a holiday, um, that's a good time for for people like us who are constantly having to do, uh, you know, crazy stuff like that uh, to, um, you know, just let that let it flow. Right. We don't get the opportunity to do that a lot, you know, nah, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm super excited because uh, today we are welcoming uh, the, uh, an acclaimed trademark and business IP attorney, Tamara Pester, to the podcast. Tamara, welcome to Live from the Vault. Oh, yeah. Our pleasure, for sure. The long-awaited, most anticipated. <laughs> we both know Tamara pretty well, and, uh, and and we're super excited to chat with her because, you know, trademarking your business name especially and, and other aspects of your business and services is such a huge problem for entrepreneurs. So we're super excited to be able to uh, chat with Tamara and give you guys some um, um, you know, valuable sort of insights into that whole process and, uh, maybe even some things to avoid and so on and so forth. Um, so Tamara, uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, but the first thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, have you, uh, you know, you work with tons of entrepreneurs and I know we do a lot of interactions because, Folks come to you, they, they have a business that maybe it's new or even maybe it's been in business for a while and they, and they, and they have a name that they've been using. And, but often when they go to trademark it, they're, they're bitterly disappointed because it's not available uh, to them. Uh, how, you know, out of the trademark uh, and, and, and brand naming clients that you get, people that come in to trademark their name, could you ballpark a percentage of like how many people uh, actually can't trademark the name that, that, that they they thought they could or that they wanted to do use? Well, that's a good question, Chad. And that gets into whether you can federally register a trademark or whether you can continue using your common law rights. I probably have about, I would say, 25 or 30 percent of clients who come to me wanting to get a federal trademark registration, which, you know, would give them presumptive nationwide use and all kinds of enhanced rights if anyone ever infringes. Um, But for one reason or another, their trademark is not available for registration. Either someone else has already applied for it, or it's a generic or descriptive term as applied to the goods and services, or there's some other issue. Maybe they're aware of another common law user. And when there is an existing common law or unregistered user, who has been using a mark uh, before or around the same time as my client, then I usually discourage them from applying for federal registration because um, those common law users can poke holes into a registration and cause really big problems later on. That's really interesting. You bring up the the concept of uh, common law. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Like, 
Uh, I, I think people get the impression that if they're just using it out in the marketplace, um, I, I think they understand that they may have some protection, but aren't exactly sure of um, you know what kind of level of protection that is. Yeah, so we call an unregistered user a common law user. They have rights in the mark um, for, in connection with the goods or services. They've actually been using it in the geographic area where they've actually been using it. So, you know, if you start the Denver Marketing Company and you're, you've been doing marketing in Denver for a couple of years, you will still have common law rights in that mark because you're an unregistered user. But these common law users won't be able to stop anyone else from using the same term. Um, they also, I mean, actually, that's not entirely true. You could potentially, if you had built up enough brand equity where people associated your particular business with a generic term or with an unregistered term, you could potentially send a cease and desist letter, but it's really not the same as having a federal registration, which again gives you presumptive nationwide use and rights in the mark. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I think it's a, a big confusion point for 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 folks. So I'm glad you I'm glad you addressed that. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that people are confused about when they start a business. Number one, they think that they can't use a name unless it's trademarked, which you know, that's not true. You can always start using a name. It's just a question of how strong your rights will be. And number two is that um, if they register it, that somehow that will automatically prevent other people from using the mark. And that's also not true. A registration gives you these rights, but it's always up to you to enforce them against other people. So if you're a common law user and then somebody else, uh, you know, falls through years later and establishes or actually files for a trademark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, as the common law user, would you still be able to file oppositions? file an opposition if you've been using a mark before an applicant applies for registration of that mark. Good to know. That's really fascinating because I think that's such a point of confusion and I, and I appreciate you clarifying that. But I guess the idea is that if you have the means to, it's pretty much always better to try to get a federal trademark for your name uh, you know, as soon as you possibly can. Like, sure, you may have some common law rights, but by and large, it's probably a good idea to apply for that federal trademark, right? Let me follow up with that being a personal client of the lady that we're speaking to right now so I can walk in my truth when I say this. When I initiated my company on paper as far as articles of organization and everything, tomorrow was the very first expense of my business. That was the most wow. important thing for That's me great. to have legal um, representation at that level just in case you have to deal with any of the stuff that we're talking about today. For sure. And in your brand, you know, your brand name was... No cap. Yeah, exactly. No lying, telling the truth. Right, exactly. So, and I think, you know, that it was a great trademark to get to because I feel like that term is something that will be, people will use, you know, out there and, and can be, you know, I'm sure if you hadn't gotten that, somebody would have got that trademark we, as soon as they possibly could have, right? Right, absolutely. And we're still in the process of doing certain things. You see what I'm saying? But once again, that was my first expense as a business was to get my foundation super solid. So when I came across her, she's a she's a shark, B. I try to tell you all the time. She, 
She crosses her D's and dots her I's. She's called at what she does. Nice. So what do you think about that, Tamara? Not not the shark part, but uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, that it's a good idea to uh, register right away if you have the means I'm to do so. I'm preaching to the choir. I'm a trademark attorney, so of course <laughs> I think it's a good idea. It's a great idea that you should register right away. No, seriously, though, especially if you have a consumer-facing brand, I think in those cases it's more important if you're doing B2B or if you're doing some, you know, something where your products aren't out there in front of a whole lot of people, right. um, it's somewhat less important. But certainly for consumer brands, it is extremely important to get on that trademarking before you invest a lot of money in marketing. Because, I mean, you know, Chad, once you start going down the road, investing in building a brand and, right. you know, doing ads and... For goodness gracious, think about all the, like the. I mean, those costs yeah. can really balloon up, and you would it would be terrible if you were to go down that road thinking that your mark was available, only to later find out that you actually had to rebrand. In fact, I think didn't you have a situation like that yourself? <laughs> yeah, I sure did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we had this idea for this. You know, we had a different agency before Hero Smith, and we had this whole new concept for an agency that I wanted to create. And um, because like back when we founded our old company, Ascend in 2015, there were not any marketing or branding agencies or web design agencies that I could find at least online that had that, uh, that had that name. And so I thought, Oh, Hey, we're good to go. And then, and then come to find out, you know, about, well, actually about, I think about four weeks before we uh, were about to launch originally, uh, we hired a trademark attorney and found out that we could not, in fact, trademark our name. And so uh, it really set us back. I mean, it took, we went through 32 different names before I came up with Smith. Wow. Yeah. So, and all of them were not available. And I think, you know, you know, entrepreneurs should be prepared for the fact that naming is hard. I mean, it's hard for us and we're branding people. Tomorrow, <laughs> how long did it take you for you to come up with your company name? <laughs> he's messing with you i think because it is your name <laughs> oh me yeah no i mean i wish i had a more unique name because eventually i'd like to be able to transition it to another person and take a smaller role oh. but um then thinking about everything that's involved with the website and like yeah all of my you know physical like my letterhead and all of my listings it's a good and bad thing that I am out there on the internet. You know, I was one of the first attorneys to invest in SEO when I started my practice 10 years ago. And I'm listed in all kinds of directories, all kinds of people and companies and even some educational institutions linked to me. So if I were to right. change my website, we'd have to go through and like redirect a ton of stuff. It right. just was an overwhelming prospect which i'm not ready to take on maybe in um like about four years we can revisit that but there, there you yeah, go yeah exactly um you know and i always think of my my buddy rob layman owner of uh, single track electric rob's a guy a super su successful electric and hvac uh company but just think about the invest i mean the guy has probably 15 or 16 trucks out on the road every day uh, all with like vehicle wraps and he's got, you know, 
refrigerator magnets and leave behinds and stuff. If, if a guy like that, you know, um, wh- why I think it's so important to do the trademarking process as early as you can possibly do it um, is because imagine you're that far down the road and you've already invested $20,000 in, in vehicle wraps and things like that. And then you have to change it. And not to mention from a brand equity standpoint, if you build up a ton of brand ac- equity under one name, um, you would be shocked. You would think people would get it and people would uh, instantly sort of transfer over. Oh, we loved, you know, Chad's old company ascend. So Smith is great too. And while my absolute best, you know, obviously customers that carried over and things like that, um, you know, did, uh, it, you know, it, it was a bit of a fresh start, um, from building that up in the, in the general public's mind, of course. And, and uh, a lot of effort required. So I think the the solid advice for entrepreneurs is to to address this sooner rather than later. Now, my question to you, Tamara, is if they had, if a if a particular business owner doesn't have any designs on having a company that exists in multiple states, uh-huh. does that affect their decision as to whether to trademark or not? Like, would they, is it really necessary if they just plan to be like a local, say Denver, Colorado business, or even just a Colorado exclusive business for yeah, the life of their question. company? And actually federal trademarks are not available unless you have use in interstate commerce, which has been interpreted to mean, um, well, the obvious thing is if you're doing business in multiple states, if you have multiple locations, or if you have customers from out of state, um, but it has, in the case of some restaurants that only have one location in a particular city, there, are, there is actually case law that interprets that use in commerce to mean that even if there's only one person that crosses the state line to go to your restaurant, that is considered use in, in interstate commerce. Oh, no kidding. Huh. So it's really up to the business owner whether or not they want to invest in um protecting their brand on a federal level if they're just doing business locally. You can also get a state trademark registration. It doesn't really provide the same level of protection, I guess, because um, if someone infringes on your federal registration, then you can sue them in federal court. Well, you have a lot of recourse in the federal system. You can sue them in federal court. You can do stuff with the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board. And generally, the people that the judges and the um, interlocutory attorneys that get assigned to your matter, if you take those routes, are familiar with trademarks, and they'll be able to advance your case quickly and in a knowledgeable way. If you file in state court based on your state registration, it's kind of a block of the draw, whether you get a judge who is really familiar with trademarks and you get lucky, or if you get someone who's like, What's a dot com? Oh, goodness. Yeah. That <laughs> wow. actually happened to someone I know. So generally speaking, it's better to kind of skip the state trademark. I, To be honest with you, I'll admit my ignorance. I didn't even know that was a thing. Who, who? Yeah, it's, um, it's inexpensive, and it's nothing at all like the federal trademark registration process, where in the federal trademark um, application, you know, it takes several months. Well, unless under this expedited COVID program right now where you can actually get assigned to an examining attorney in like four days. Wow. But, you know, normally it takes like two to three months to get assigned to an examining attorney, and then they do a substantive review. They check the records to see if there's anything conflicting. 
and or if your mark meets you know all the administrative requirements if it's not descriptive and if it's someone's name and stuff like that um they really do a pretty thorough examination before they allow it to issue to registration in the state registration system at least in colorado and i think it's pretty consistent throughout the u.s when you do a state trademark registration you literally just get on the secretary of state website you type in the mark that you want to protect you um there's a little drop down menu for what the goods and services are you're supposed to submit a specimen of use not everyone even does that and it'll still go through if you don't do that you pay a $30 filing fee, you click the, the um, submit button, and voila, you've got your state trademark. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so antithetical to the other process. Like, that yeah, is so... totally different. Yeah, it's like totally DIY almost, and you know, basically. even if there's a mark out there that's registered with the Secretary of State, that is the same, but if the punctuation is different, if there's like a dash or if there's like a capital letter instead of a small letter, they don't care. They'll still get. You'll still get your registration. Right. Which obviously, if they ever go to federal, that will matter, and that will yeah. probably get you kicked out. Well, yeah. so what are some, you know, uh, what are some either maybe I guess we could take it on the positive. I was going to ask you what what are some common mistakes that people make. I know you mentioned like descriptive names, but uh, so so what are some guidelines for creating a name that's more trademarkable in 2020? Just because you know, the trademark database is filling up and people have registered a lot of stuff by this point and yeah. it's getting harder and harder. So uh, the strongest trademarks are, um, in trademark language, we call them arbitrary and capricious. Um, what does that so mean? It's like, basically like something bizarre that has no real meaning in the dictionary. So that's why like Lululemon and Starbucks are such strong trademarks. They're just made up words. Um, so it's almost like you need to um, just rack your brain, think of some weird combination of letters, right. numbers even, yeah, and, and go from there. And you know, do your search, make sure it's not taken, and then go from there. It's um, there's actually so one of the common um, challenges that I deal with is that people always want to use a name that's going to automatically be associated with their product or with their service. But from a trademark perspective, there's an inverse relationship between how descriptive it is of your goods and services and the strength of the mark. So even though from a marketing perspective, you're going to need to spend a little more initially to let consumers know like, um, you know, like that Lululemon is associated with athletic clothes as opposed to a mark like, um, you know, stretchy athletic legging pant company. Right, right. Like, oh, they make stretchy athletic leggings. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you're going to spend a little more upfront, but in the long run, you're actually going to have a super strong brand. This is where I'm telling you simplicity is the key to brilliance. Apple sells anything but apples. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, it falls yeah. into everything she just spoke on as far as, okay, we have an Apple logo. We're going to call our company Apple, but we're selling technology. Right. Selling laptops. Really has nothing so to that's do what with I'm saying. Yeah, technology. So that's going to be an easy one if you got that creative conscious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so um, now you you said something that made me think of another, another question. Is how does this, you know, you see a lot of like um, startup brands 
that will simply spell a word different than than one would normally spell it, maybe without vowels or um, like Tumblr or something like that. Um, now, does that make a normal word that might be difficult to trademark, like Tumblr? I don't know if that would be difficult with its normal spelling. Does it make it easier or is it better to have a unique spelling? Does that enable you it easier well, to get a trademark? Is a good mark because even though Tumblr with a regular spelling is a normal word, um, it doesn't automatically have an association with. Um, I don't even know how like a service or a blog service or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like, uh, like a mug or whatever you normally consider a Tumblr, but yeah. Um, having a different variation on a word or a letter or even a number can help. Um, but as far as the trademark office, they're going to consider how it sounds phonetically and how it looks visually. So if you try to be sneaky by registering like, Starbucks with an X, you're still going to get rejected because phonetically it's identical to Starbucks with a CKS. Nice. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And they got that bank account to go to court, B. Like, yeah. Be like yeah. Spending. I'm sure their attorney is really busy. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Remember when you came in and um, you, ho- you hosted a class on everything we're speaking about right now. Uh, you had brought up Starbucks as an example, but then you also showed us all the all the consequent, oh, all the subsequent um, trademarks that they ended up filing as far as different products yeah, they were oh coming out with, I right? Think it was their trademark attorney because they have a really extensive trademark portfolio. Right. I think they have several dozen, if not several hundred, trademarks for different, um, you know, the coffee blends and the rewards program and all kinds of things that they've named and numbered and whatnot. Wow. So um, that brings up another question. So, you know, going through the process myself, I learned that that the category that you're in is pretty important as well. But I'm really confused as to like what delineates like, you know, could there be a Hero Smith shoe company Um, because I'm registered under two or three categories that relate to like marketing, branding, web design, you know, that kind of stuff, software stuff. Um, Could someone come along and potentially register Hero Smith for uh, uh, an apparel brand or something like that and yeah, legally registered? Potentially. Um, so an examining attorney has a lot of discretion as to whether they consider existing applications or registrations to be confusing to a new application, a newly filed application. So they'll do the search. So you have Hero Smith for marketing, which I'm guessing is probably class 35 or 36 for business services. Um, if someone were to apply for Hero Smith for apparel, yeah, it, it might go through. Um, and then it would be up to you to send them a cease and desist letter. Well, you know what, Chad, though? Is it really confusing? Because the test of trademark infringement is whether a normal consumer would be confused as to the source of the goods and services looking at them next to each other. So if they're driving by the Hero Smith building, they see that, and next door there's another Hero Smith, and they're selling sneakers and sweatshirts. Are they gonna? Well, you know what? Next door, that might be confusing. I was gonna well, say like downtown Denver versus where you are up on Coltac. Are they gonna think that you guys are associated with each other just because you have the same name? I don't know. They might. They might not. I mean, I could see arguments both ways. There's a lot of factors that you look at as to um, 
whether things are confusingly similar, you know, you want to look at whether there's an overlap in the marketing, whether the consumers are similar, um, you know, okay. the similarity of their marks, that would be a factor in your favor. Um, the goods and services themselves. Um, gosh, I, don't, I can't think of the, there's a lot of sure. factors. Um, there's a famous case um, known as the DuPont case that lists all those factors out. But you would just consider um, how the factors weigh against both of those marks, whether it's confusing or not. It seems also to matter along these same lines, like how sort of global or pervasive a brand is. Like yeah, it, and, it, and that is one of the DuPont factors is the extent of marketing and sort of the recognition of the more senior user. Okay, cool. Because I was like, because like theoretically, I could start a shoe company called Starbucks or something, maybe, you know, like just as 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 I understood it. But I was like, there's no way. Obviously, their lawyers yeah. would jump all over you if you did that. But aside from their lawyers kind of attacking you for trying to do that, I mean, you know, do you think that because of the factor of like, obviously, they're a huge brand that everyone knows that would just instantly get it rejected? Yeah, so if it's a famous mark and you can show fame by the amount of advertising expenditures or, you know, for websites, it's um, like the amount of hits on your website or know you put a little package together to show fame based on various evidence and if it's a famous mark then they're going to have a lot better chance of shooting down a junior user even though the goods are totally unrelated got it that makes total sense um well, also they're going to have a, a much <laughs> they're probably going to have a much larger legal budget to spend on cease and desist letters and um, yeah functions <laughs> and, and stuff like that right right exactly yeah um so okay so someone like me and DeAndre and I actually both, um, you know, we've been through the process. I don't know if your trademark is finalized and registered. Smith is. We've got the little R. I felt very proud when I was able to put that little, that little R on my, uh, on my logo on our site and stuff. Um, but the question that confused me is now that I've got that, that little mark, do I have to use it like every time I use the word Smith? in my marketing or like every bit of marketing materials I have, or can I just use it sometimes? The little circle R? Yeah, like the symbol, the trademark, the registered trademark symbol. That's up to you. You don't necessarily need to use it in every single place where you mention Smith, but you know, you want to put people on notice that you do have federal rights in your mark. So yeah, you should have it like on your website. I think actually you have it at the bottom of your website now, don't you? Yeah, I got it at the bottom and like I added it to the logo at the top. But you know, like every time I, I have to mention our name in our website copy, you know, at Smith, so on and so forth. So I, I don't do it there. That they should put the circle R after the first mention in copy, but it doesn't need to be every single mention after that. And is that like, is that absolutely required to do it? Like, I, I would assume like, okay, you've got a particular page, our, our membership page. And I mentioned well, Smith. No, should there's, I... no, there's no requirement. In okay. Terms of you're not going to get your trademark revoked if you forget to put the circle R next to it. Nah, I, I think it's beneficial when you first start a business and you start to initiate that public presence. You Just like she said, you want to be able to let the public know that, hey, this is protected. But at the end of the day, once you become so established, like Nike doesn't use that symbol on their symbol at all. 
We know what Nike is, though. Every single time we see the logo. Right. With or without the mark. Right. I got you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, fascinating. So, Tamara, you've got this great blog series uh, called Tamara's Tips, and uh, you really address some of the myths around trademarks. Is there a favorite trademark myth that you'd like to share with uh, the entrepreneurs out there listening to our podcast? Uh, I think the biggest myth, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but they're, they're all myths, so none of them are my favorite. I spend <laughs> my time trying to combat the myths. <laughs> right. But um, probably the most common myth is that the Patent and Trademark Office enforces your rights once you have a registration. You know, people think, oh, if I go through this process, then I'm set for life. That's really not true because it's it, some ongoing monitoring is required in order to make sure that no one else is using your mark and that if they are using it, that it's for completely different goods and services and there's no consumer confusion. Got it. um, Yeah, that's a huge one because I kind of thought that myself, like, oh, we registered this and, you know, what's going to happen? I I think I I asked the attorney, like, what's going to happen before I met Tamara? So I didn't have the opportunity to use her, but, um, uh, but you know, um, I asked them like, well, so what's going to happen? Are we going to get alerted when somebody, you know, uses it? They're like, uh, no, <laughs> you can. Well, you- no, there are ways. I mean, like I have some software that sends me alerts every day when people apply for marks that this, you know, according to the artificial intelligence, um, might be considered confusing to my client's applications or registrations. Um, and you know, the patent and trademark office also has a rule where if it's something for really similar goods and really similar services, then hopefully the examining attorney is doing their job and they'll reject that application. But if it's something more, more subtle, or if it's a common law, an unregistered user who maybe started a new company under the same name without doing anything federal, then it's up to you to send them a cease and desist letter, let them know about your rights. Maybe they really didn't know they're an innocent infringer and give them an opportunity to correct the situation. Well, I, don't, I know you can't obviously have, uh, you know, attorney privileges, but can you walk us through any, any of the kind of sticky situations that, that you've helped people out of or, or, yeah, you know, I have a really juicy one right now, but attorney client privilege prevents me from disclosing details, especially because they're in the middle of mediation. I'm hoping it's going to get resolved in the next few weeks. Um, it relates to a family name, um, which um, two family members are both using for a similar business. Oh, wow. Um, it's no good when the family feuds, Chad. Yeah, the family feuds. That's got to be. That's a talk about a sticky situation. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because one of the reasons I went into trademark law is that I like to have things cut and dry. I didn't want to do something that was super emotional or, you know, with people crying to me every day. <laughs> Not that I have no empathy, but, you know, I'm a business person. I like business. Um, right. I like to help people accomplish their goals, as I know that you both do. Um, so I didn't want to do family law. I didn't want to do, you know, divorces or something, criminal law or something that I thought would be really messy. But actually, trademark disputes, especially when they're held by small businesses where the owner is personally involved, they can get pretty emotional. You know, you're talking about someone's entire career. They're still building up this brand and they make it really upset when someone else is trying to use the same brand, especially for, you know, the same services. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we all have to, especially in this world we live in now where, 
you know, businesses have such a bigger opportunity to reach a wider audience through social media and stuff like that. If you have competing, you know, businesses or, and as the trademark office, and I've heard you say before, it's all about, will there be potential confusion in the marketplace or is there? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I can see that being incredibly frustrating and it certainly speaks to, you know, uh, on the side, coming down on the side of getting that, that taken care of sooner rather than later in your business's trajectory. That's awesome. Well, uh, anything else that you'd like to add, Tamara? You know, I mean, any other myths or anything that, um, you know, that you want to make sure entrepreneurs understand about uh, the trademark the thing? Other thing, uh, I mean, you know, I could talk about trademarks for hours. I have. Well, that's your passion, <laughs> so it's cool. The main point I would like to make is the importance of clearance of a mark before you start using it. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to do a thorough search. You not just looking through the Patent and Trademark Office records, not just doing an internet search, but actually checking Secretary of State records, you know, checking social media, doing more of a comprehensive search before you assume that a mark is clear to start using. Um, this is the number one place where people screw up because they think that just a Google search alone is gonna be sufficient, and it's really not. There's you know, there can be prior users lurking out there and you want to make sure that they're cleared up before you start using a brand. Well, that's a, that is some great advice right there because, uh, you know, people think they're really good at Googling, but yeah. they actually suck at it <laughs> because literally I can't tell you how many times, like how many times do you see, you know, I don't know, like one example I think of is, you know, you'll see somebody post some stuff that's obviously like a joke or fake and they're taking it seriously. And it's like, why would you not Google before you did that? And, 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 and you know, and often I'll like, um, you know, somebody will ask me a question and, uh, and it's such an obvious thing to me. I'm like, well, geez, it seems like you could just Google that. In fact, there used to be this website called Let Me Google That For You. What is it? I don't remember what it was. I don't even know if it's around anymore. I'll tell you what, it was the best. The first time I got to send that link when somebody would email me something and I could send them the, it would basically like take you to a Google page and then it would like literally type the question that they asked you into Google and you'd see a mouse like really slowly go up and hit search. <laughs> but yeah, like people don't do a deep enough dive. I mean, just, you know, Googling the business name that you want to use and, you know, quickly perusing over the first page is, is yeah, not or enough. Even just checking the exact match with the patent and trademark office, because you need to keep in mind the examining attorney at the patent and trademark office isn't just looking for uh, exact matches. They're doing all kinds of Boolean searches with the little star after the first few words or a star before the second portion of the mark. And, you know, basically any derivations of that mark should be searched as well. Yeah. Right. Got you. I got a couple questions for you tomorrow. Um, it's been a minute since I've seen you, so I'm going through withdrawal, so I got some real oh, questions for you. <laughs> right. So here's my whole thing. I haven't seen at least the last six to eight months somewhere along that line. There's been um, viruses floating around. There's obviously been restrictions in place, stay-at-home orders. It's a whole new world out here. So I wanted to know. Um, how different your life has become as far as how you conduct your business. I know you and I used to see each other, um, 
you know, uh, as far as a couple months, once every couple months, something along that line. Yeah. But I would see you regularly yeah, in person so at your I like office. I to meet clients or prospects the first time. I really like to meet face-to-face. That has all turned virtual. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't want to turn on their cameras or forget to turn on their cameras. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really weird for me because, like, I see myself on the screen and then, like, the other side is just black. Right. And, um, you know, I don't know... I really like to just, I don't know, I feel like I get such a better sense of a person when I see them face to face or even virtually over the internet if I see their face. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of weird for me um, doing everything virtual, but it hasn't affected, other than that, it really hasn't affected my business too much because all my systems are cloud-based, you know, my CRM backs up to the cloud. Um, Obviously, the patent and trademark office system, you can do everything online. Um, all of the examining attorneys at the Patent and Trademark Office even are working from home right now. I mean, I've got my laptop, I've got my desktop computer. I can work from anywhere. Um, I haven't. My office has actually been open the entire time because apparently, oh wow, okay, considered essential services. Damn. Um, I haven't personally gone into the office that much. I can count on one hand the number of times I've gone in since coronavirus started because it's just weird there. Um, Mask wearing is inconsistent. Um, you know, it's a weird atmosphere yeah. where people are like scared to walk past each other or interact. So I've been working from home a lot, which gets a bit tiresome. Sometimes I go over to my mom's house and work from there just for a change of scenery. Right. Um, so yeah, the main thing is just the, the lack, the, the um, big drop off in personal interaction. Have you out of Thankfully, I've been busy this entire time and um yeah thank god um, my business hasn't been too affected have your out-of-state clients been able to transition to this new virtual experience they're having because i know that you would make travel arrangements to meet with certain clients as far as business and everything i'm sorry i didn't hear you so well yeah it was uh he was asking about the out of your out-of-state clients have they been able to make that transition i don't see them that much anyway i have a bunch of clients in south carolina and i went out there guess about a year ago and I was planning to go again this spring but you know with phone and internet I mean an email it's mostly electronic communication anyway mm-hmm. I mean I would like I really would like to see them and I'm planning to go as soon as we're able to comfortably travel again um, right. but you know it doesn't you know my out-of-state clients we're, we're still in touch Nice. Well, at least that did not too much change for them. Hey, I wanted to ask yeah. you one more question that I thought of. Um, you know, when you go to trademark, a lot of people might not realize that that you can trademark different aspects of your of your name. Like, meaning you can actually trademark just your name, and you can also trademark your name and your logo. Yep. So, what what is your advice around that? Like, do you start with the name and then do the logo? Do you do them both at the same time? Every time, what, what, why, why is it separate, and what is your advice along those lines? That's a great question, Chad. Um, it really depends on how the person is planning to use the mark. If they're always going to identify their goods or services with the logo itself, like the Nike swoosh, for instance, mm. maybe that would be the first thing I would advise to um, register. If they're going to use the name more than the a particular logo or design, then that's what I would do first. If they're so but then within the name, you know, they can do a stylized version of the name. People 
people always have the most flexibility for a word if you just register as a plain word mark as opposed to a stylized word mark. And unless you have like some really fancy, mm. you know, type of um, font with your name, I don't usually think it's worthwhile to do a, like a stylized name mark. A logo, on the other hand, if it's going to be used often, I would do that. But you always have the most flexibility if you just apply as a plain word because then you can use it in, with whatever design or font or style. And then, you know, if you change it down the road, you still have protection for the word itself. I would, some, sometimes I tell people, like I have a client um, this, this week who is opening a, um, a beauty type um, place and her mark uses one word, which is in some ways used by another company, but we think that the services are different enough. But in that case, because it is a pretty big company using um, one, one portion of her mark, I advised her that her mark would actually be stronger if we did it as a composite word and design mark. So that's how we applied because having that additional logo next to the name of her company will distinguish it. And hopefully the, the examining attorney at the trademark office won't reject it because of the presence of this other mark that uses um, the same um, second portion of her mark. Oh, interesting. So you can actually, if you want to try to get a better chance at getting a trademark for a name that may be, you know, sort of borderline or share a word with another brand, that you can actually do both the logo to differentiate it further. Interesting. Yeah, yep, huh. exactly. Well, that's fascinating. Well, we learned so much today, Tamara. Thank well, you so much. So you know, I love talking about trademarks. I'll talk to you about it anytime. Yeah. I actually got one more question for you because you had mentioned it earlier in the show. You had said you ultimately want to um, create an asset and be able to pretty much hand it off to somebody else. Um, did you still want to pursue other endeavors as far as I know you have certain products that are patented and everything? What direction did you want to go in after you uh, solidify that vision? You know, I have so many interests. Like, I kind of want to study landscaping. Gosh, you okay. Wow, I cool. Plants. I'm always growing plants. You know, I have, like, I just got this monstera plant, which is really cool. Um, you know, I have some family stuff that I'm involved with, some real estate stuff. So, Gosh, I just have so many things that I'd like to do. And I don't think I would ever want to quit practicing altogether. I just would like to have someone else at the helm so that I can pick and choose which clients I want to work with. Like, DeAndre, I will always work with you. And I have a handful of clients. Actually, most of my clients I really, really like right now. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to step away entirely. But I would like to take, you know, right now I do everything. I mean, I had to unfortunately let my associate go last year. I have a virtual assistant who's been helping me with some things, but it really would be helpful to have another attorney um, on staff. And actually, you guys, I just got this new chat. I know you and I had talked about it. I did yeah. finally transition to a different billing system. So now I feel comfortable that I'm ready, almost ready to hire someone again, because now I feel like my systems are in place to do that. Nice. You know, I have some workflows um, where everything is like, set out in terms of what the steps are. So, yeah, that's what I'm working for. I, right hope, so. I hope our audience hears that. That's a job offer right there. Yeah, you heard it here first. <laughs> you got the, you got a chance to work with the one and only Tamara Pastorowa. It was so great to have you on our show today. Tamara, thank you so much for your time and for your oh, insights. Um, we really 
Yeah, it was great. Thank you so much. We'll see. We'll talk to you soon. All right, let's go right into our one cool thing. All right, our one cool thing this week is a little different. You know, a lot of times I'll share a piece of software or product or something. Um, I wanted to share an idea because I, I talked to so many founders and and business owners that really struggle with, you know, writing effective copy for their brand, you know. Maybe they want to do experiment with some sort of ad. Maybe they want to. Um, maybe they're trying to get a kind of a, a value prop or something like that right on their website. And so, one of the things I I share with them, I have a bunch of these, but one of the ones I think people really can um, really understand easily is is a little device I use to help folks kind of get to the point very quickly. Because, you know, in this world, obviously, if you're doing an advertisement in a digital world where people are scrolling by at 100 miles an hour, thumbs of fury there, uh, you know, you got to really get to the point really quick. So I thought I'd share a little device that I use to help entrepreneurs kind of seek out and explain what they're trying to advertise. And it's simple formula. It's how to X without Y so you can Z. So let me give you an example. How to lose 10 pounds without starving yourself so you can fit into that bathing suit you've been eyeing this summer. So, Or how to get a custom website without spending thousands and thousands of dollars and months and months of your time so you can have a presence that makes you look great. You see how you can put in, fill in the blanks, how to X, meaning whatever that customer's sort of problem or goal is, without why, I always use their biggest fear or the thing that may hold them back. Um, you know, if you hear a common thing in your business, like, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds, but gosh, I really, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't starve myself. It's the holidays or something, you know. So you use their biggest, most common objection as the why, and then the so you can Z, the Z is their more internal goal, right? They might say their goal is to lose 10 pounds, but their actual goal is to be able to wear the, the swimsuit they want or not be embarrassed at the pool or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So how to X without Y so you can Z. It's simple. That's it. That's simple. That's our one cool thing of the pod. The one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, DeAndre Dow with the news. Man, I appreciate you, Chad. Let's get right into it. Amazon buys black-led self-driving company. According to reports, Zooks or Zooks, a company that has been testing autonomous vehicles in Las Vegas and San Francisco, will presumably be purchased by Amazon for $1.2 billion. Zooks, who many refer to as a robo-taxi service, is on a mission to imagine, event, and design a world-class ride hail and experience. While no immediate plans for the company have been revealed, African-American CEO Aisha Evans will stay on board to run the company along with co-founder and chief technology officer Jesse Levinson. We now have an even greater opportunity to realize a fully autonomous future, Evans said in a statement referring to the New Deal. Experts foresee the service model being developed in cities with three to five years in between 20 to 30 years before we start seeing it all over the world. Wow. So that's amazing. I think it's good to have another competitor in that autonomous vehicle. So essentially this, this business, I hadn't heard of it before they bought them, but um, it's, it's, it's an Uber like type deal right now, or are they, are they, are they straight up just working toward where it's a completely AI driven 
uh, cars that pick people up and, and there's no actual drivers. Right. I believe they have vehicles, like they said, they're testing the markets like Las Vegas and San Francisco. Okay. So it's like the base raw model of everything. But it sounds like it's still in development. Wow. And they're talking three to five years. That's incredible. Yeah. Because I remember, you know, I, I think one of the fascinating things that, you know, so many people, uh, especially entrepreneurs and startups, have have used Uber and Lyft as a side hustle to get by, you know, so they Absolutely. can keep working their working their uh their business right know? absolutely i'm the poster boy for that you feel me yeah this right another bag you feel me? so it is crazy absolutely so but, but i guess the i guess the point that i was getting at was just that the long-term goal of uber and lyft really is is not about employing individuals to drive it's about nah. they're looking toward the future the whole time but they knew obviously if we could establish a ride share uh type of brand eventually will do uh be able to do that in an automated way so basically they would have no employees only cars and uh and 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 tons of revenue because people are usually your biggest expense. right the the ride hailing slash economy shared space is what i believe they technically call it airbnb business models for instance sure. that's that's taking up more and more of the market share as far as you know just overall value and benefits of having real estate and property yeah and i'm i'm super glad that it's not just the two biggies that we're familiar with now that Amazon, you know, say what you will about him. At least he's investing in a black owned business. And, right. uh, and, 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 um, and I like to see a third player because ultimately like competition spurs the marketplace. And, you know, you know, you, you, I, these guys, you know, like the, the Elon Musk's and the, uh, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world. I mean, you know, they're, they've got healthy egos and it's, and I think it's no coincidence that they both own like rocket companies, you know, space companies. And, uh, and it's that competition that's, that's driving innovation. I, I think if you gave truth serum to both those guys and asked them if their space endeavors would be as far along, if it wasn't for their competition between each other, I think they, if they, if they had the truth serum, they both say they went further because <laughs> they're competing with the other one. I feel you. I see you on that. What else man. you got, man? Uh, next headline. Uh, we spoke on them earlier. Nike loses $790 million during COVID-19 pandemic. Recently, Nike revealed how the massive effects of COVID-19 and the lockdowns that presumed to curb the spread of the disease has taken a toll on their business. In the company email, the retail giant disclosed a loss of $790 million related to his fourth quarter earnings. Despite the loss, the company had a 75% increase in online sales, generating $6.3 billion in revenue. Subsequently, Nike revealed their future plans of cutting jobs in order to restructure. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's hard to feel sorry for a company that size, right? With that kind of revenue. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we lost this much, but we also made, you know, don't worry, we made like $6 billion online or whatever it was. Um, yeah, you know, this is a time where we're, where we're, um, really seeing all these companies adapt and it's, it's kind of sad, you know, to think about like, cause I hate buying shoes online. I don't know about you. I got you. And I hate it. Cause I got, yeah. I don't know whether I got weird feet or what the deal is, but right. actually I do know I, I have weird feet. <laughs> my right <laughs> foot is literally a half a size bigger than my left foot. Right, I'll tell you. I'll and tell you. I think everybody has one foot that's slightly bigger, but I think I'm weird <laughs> because mine is like literally half size. And I'm and, and and I'm gonna confess right now that I have switched. If I really wanted a pair of shoes, uh -huh. I have taken a twelve and a half from one box and a twelve from another and combined <laughs> them together. 
please don't 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 hunt me down. I was about to uh, say Foot is... Locker or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm funny, bust man. in the vault here, right, and right. call me away. Fez but uh, I gotta figure there's somebody else out there with a bigger left foot, right? They'll be happy if they find that. There you go. So you nope. just paint it forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> we this hey startup idea right there. There you go. Uh, com. You know, you got people. They put in their foot size, twelve and twelve and a half. You match. You see who you match with. They, you start posting shoes that you like, and then boom, you can trade. I need well, to find a guy with a 12 and a half left foot and a 12 uh, right foot, and and it'll be a match made in heaven. They owe you a check. I don't know why I went on that. Uh, yeah, nah. steal that idea. Go ahead. <laughs> I dare you. Nah, no worries, man. Our third and final headline uh, is actually what this whole podcast has been about. Um, Nipsey Hussle's family at standstill with Crips over Marathon trademark. Since his untimely demise last March, Nipsey Hussle's family has been at legal odds with the Crips of Los Angeles over the now famously acclaimed slogan, The Marathon Continues. Mm. After opting out his contract and leaving Epic Records, Nipsey Hussle founded his very own record label, All Money In, and released the label's debut mixtape titled The Marathon in December 2010. Mm. Following the success of the project, Hussle released the second installment of what would become known as the Marathon Series in November 2011. Titled as the marathon continues, the phrase became synonymous with Nipsey's brand even outside of music, including books, clothing, and a flagship retail store called the Marathon Store located on Crenshaw Slauson in L.A. Despite Nipsey's notable use of the slogan prior to his death, it was confirmed that on May 16, 2019, that a trademark was filed with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office by Crips LLC, an entity Mm -hmm. that was formed in July of 2018. Which Nipsey was a part of when they filed it, right? Rolling 60s, all right. Damn. Uh, According to the filing, the organization plans to use the income for a number of community efforts, including gang prevention and intervention. Needless to say, the the filing wasn't well received. Given the public backlash and negative criticism, Crips LLC apologized to the family of the late rapper and made it clear they planned on withdrawing from the legal trademark. Since then, however... The family has reportedly heard nothing in regards to the withdrawal. Hustle's family has since taken legal action in the form of filing oppositions to the trademark application, leaving the process at a standstill. Yeah, well, just like Tamara said, you know, uh, this can get real messy. I mean, any sort of legal entanglement uh, is always, I had a business attorney that was uh, for one of my companies at one point, and, you know, she'd always say like, you know, I'd call her up all angry, like for in our example, like, you know, we had been around as a business uh, under the name Ascend for like three and a half years. And then all of a sudden I'm driving down the street one day or no, all of a sudden somebody tagged us on a Facebook post, just bought a really sick vape pen at Ascend Agency. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell is this? And it turns out that this was a, a new dispensary chain in the Denver area. And um, and yeah, and I was pissed. And, you know, I would have been fine. At first, I was actually like, you know what? I don't really care. Like, if they're a dispensary. We're a marketing company. There probably won't be confusion. And um, But then we started getting tagged all the time and some whacked out stuff. Like, check out these dabs from Ascend. I'm like, it's the wrong Ascend. Read, people, read. But anyway, of course, I call my business attorney up, ready to, like, light the world on fire and sue these people after being in a lot of weird situations. 
Um, actually, the final straw to that, to put a button on the story, was I, was, I finally drove by one of those dispensaries. And those assholes, yes, I'm calling them assholes right now, um, <laughs> and because they still exist, I think. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> those assholes stole our freaking, the, they used the exact same font for their word mark. Damn, I didn't know that. And, and here's the bottom line. Like, if, if, if it was an accident, fine. But you're telling me you did not Google the word ascend? You're, you're a dispensary in Denver, Colorado, with like planning to open up a bunch of them. And you had to have Googled Ascend Denver. And I'll tell you what, if you did that back then, we came up, you could not have missed us like multiple pages, our Google My Business <laughs> listing, our Facebook, all that came up and not much else. Um, so, so I, it, you know, if you're going to use the name, don't also use the word mark. So anyway, I called my attorney and I, you know, was ready to light the world on fire. And <laughs> she just said to me like, look, yeah, you could go after him, but you know, maybe it's better. She was one. If you can avoid a legal entanglement, entanglement, it's always better. Right. Absolutely. But it sounds like a tough situation out there with Nipsey's family. I mean, it seems like, right. Yeah. So exactly. That, that's going to be a prolonged thing. And then when the more money, this is why Tamara's right. Like I really agree. And that's why I, um, this incident with this cannabis company, um, made me want to get a new name and the trademark for it right away. Because when there, the more money that's involved, the more that trademark is worth or that name or whatever that entity is, the bigger, longer, more expensive battle it's going to be. You came up with a doper name than me in the long run, so it wasn't yeah, win. You, right. you didn't win the battle, you won the war. Right, exactly. You see what I'm saying? For sure. For real, you're able to Thank develop the whole that. brand and everything. As far as the Nipsey shit, I personally opened up for Nipsey Hustle back in April 2011 at a nice. spot called Castleman's downtown. So I was able to witness that movement firsthand. Yeah. And like Tamara said, like when you become so attached to something that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into you can see how people could become a little bit emotional because that's their identity when it gets to that level of oh, yeah. commitment. For sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, his family now, of course, sadly, I think they have a solid case, you know, like that. He, Hell yeah. It, it was a whole catalog of shit. I mean, they just have. To, I just told you a, a show that I opened up for. And that's in 2011, right? That's or something a transaction. Like. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I seen it firsthand. Yeah, I'll yeah. co-sign that. Yeah. Right. So but this. So what I, I guess what I maybe was a little confused in this story about was that company that registered that trademark? Did they have anything to do with him? Was he ever involved with them or no? I don't know uh, the chairman of the board and all that. I would like to see those documents, as oh, okay. as, you know, filed for the organization because Crit's been around a lot longer than July of 2018. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What are you up to this? Uh, you're just chilling out for Fourth of July. You staying around Denver? You yeah. Around? I'm getting my I'm getting my car back. I just got it in the shop this morning. Nice. And so the, the Audi, the Hustle Mobile. Is nice. It's summertime, so that's um, already in pocket. That's a that's awesome, man. Right. Most definitely. Just got approved for a business loan, so things are moving, man. All okay, right. Got man. more product coming in. It's the same. It's just regular shit. You know how it goes. Hell yeah. You know how this goes, chat. Hell yeah. Always hustle. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. This has been Live from the Vault here at the Here's My Podcast. I am Chad Coleman here with DeAndre Dow, the one and only. Yes, sir. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank Pine Tree Janitorial Service for our theme music. Uh, it's called All My Complaints. Very apropos for us. Check them out at pinetreejs.com or you know spotify uh hit the hit the repeat let it play all night while you're sleeping 
about support these artists, you know? 